0: Amen. You're going to have a seat. Before we jump into our message today, remember we are here to help people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. And so one of those next steps is to become a member of the chapel. And so about once a year in the fall, we have a membership class that you can take if you want to become a member of the chapel. That doesn't mean, so just to let you know, being a member doesn't make you like... A better than thou Christian, okay? So it's not like you get to point fingers and say, well, I'm a member and you're not, all right? So what membership is, it's a step that you were to take to say, you know what, I want to call this my church home and I want to be a part of what God is doing and I want to serve and I want accountability and I want someone to walk with me if I'm struggling or whatever the case may be. That's exactly what membership is, You become a part of the family that we get to walk with you. We get to live life with you. We get to do those certain things. And so those people you just saw going through, they all took that step. And so some of them are here. Let's give them a round of applause for that because that's a big step in someone's faith is to call a church their home. And so if you are interested in joining, just keep in mind that we are having membership classes this fall. Keep an eye out for that as it comes up. So, maybe you've heard of this guy's name. His name's Karl Barth. He's a Swiss-born theologian. He's one of the most influential theologians in the 20th century. And someone once asked him in here in Chicago, he's they asked him throughout your extensive studies and distinguished career, what's the most profound truth you have learned? And I love that question because that's exactly what I would ask a theologian who's widely known. Like, what's the best thing? I'm just going to take it to the bank. Everywhere I go, I'm going to just, like, throw that out at people and just to sound really smart. You know what he said? Without hesitating, he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Without hesitating, One of the greatest theologians in the 20th century. That's the most profound truth that he answered that day. Do you know that? Do you know that song? Yeah. Yeah. Many of you know that song. Now the question is, is do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus truly does love you? More than that, do you believe that Jesus is your friend, your companion? Those are good questions to ask in your faith and in your spiritual walk, because and that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you haven't been with us, we are walking through Gentle and Lowly, which is going to come up right here. We're walking through this book by Dane Ortland. Uh, and so we're kind of following along, looking at the heart of God, the very heart of God for us. He is gentle and lowly in heart. And so, two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus is always for us. Last week, we looked at how Jesus meets us in our sinfulness. And today, we're going to look at how Jesus is our friend and companion. Friend and companion. Now, when we say a statement like this, how Jesus is our friend and companion, the natural question is, is how do we know that? How do we know that Jesus, the God of the universe who came to us to save us from our sin, to give us eternal life. How do we know that Jesus is actually our friend? Well, it's because he tells us in Scripture. Time and time again, the word friend comes up. And one of them is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. And we're going to read that today. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, which by the way, Jesus, just to give you a little context, Jesus is talking to some people who really don't like him, and yet they also didn't like John the Baptist either, and so right before this, he's like, well, John the Baptist came, he didn't do any of this stuff, and you said he had a demon. And then he goes on to say, and this is what you say about me. And so this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, the Son of Man feasts and drinks, and you say, so he's talking to the Pharisees here, he's talking to to the religious elite of that time. He says, you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then he finishes by saying, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Jesus says this to the religious leaders. He's basically saying, these people are criticizing me for associating with the outcasts of society. They're calling him a friend of tax collectors and sinners as if it's a bad thing. It's culturally unacceptable to do this, especially as it pertains to religious law. There's a lot of Things to get into there, but we're not gonna go there today. But it's a bad thing to these religious leaders that Jesus would associate with these tax collectors and these sinners. They had this holier than thou mentality. Like, how could he be with them and not us? How they're not religious like we are, we're way better. Have you ever thought that before about yourself? You see, Jesus is a friend to tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't like that. And you know what really, truly they were missing? is They didn't fully understand the very heart of God, did they? They were really leaning hard into this concept of the law and yet they were failing to recognize the heart of God for people like you and people like me. So, we got to talk about this word friend because the word friend is pretty diluted over time and I think Facebook may have had something to do with that. Are you guys on Facebook? Have you been there? If you're like under 30, probably not. That's a little old school now. If you're older than 30, you probably love it. You have a lot of Facebook friends, don't you? There's nothing like getting a Facebook friend request. You feel good. You're like, oh, they want to be my friend. The question is, Is are they your friends? Are they actually your friends, or, do, or are they just people who see you from the outside and don't know anything about your life? You see, that word friend in our culture has been so diluted because of things like social media in our lives, and so it's hard for us to disassociate what culture defines as friend as what God defines as friend. And so when we really talk about this concept of friend, we can't think in a cultural concept here. We can't think Facebook friends. We can't think this idea of of, I have so many friends, and yet we sit here lonely and depressed, don't we? And so in order to understand this word friend, we have to look at how God defines it. We see the word friend found 29 times in the New Testament, and the Greek word for friend is philos. Is philos, Okay? That's a beautiful word, isn't it? It just kind of flows off the tongue. Philos, friend. So the word friend, this root word, we get words like Philadelphia. You guys know what Philadelphia means? It's a city of your brotherly love. Okay? If you didn't know that, now you do. Okay? Or, another root, or another word we get from philos is philanthropy, which is benevolence or sacrifice, or in other words, pretty wealthy people throwing money at other people. All right? philanthropy philadelphia this word philos brings with it the concept of love especially sacrificial love and so for us in the in in the context of scripture if we say the word friend our philos friends are the ones who are there for us who hang in there with us and who sacrifice for us so let me ask you the question How many of those friends do you have? How many friends do you have, not culturally speaking, so I'm not talking about Facebook friends here, how many friends do you have in your life who are there for you, who hang in there with you in the tough times, and who sacrifice for you? That's the type of friend we're talking about today when it pertains to Jesus. I want you to think of concentric circles here and coffee. People like coffee? Maybe that's why you came to church today, because we have coffee out there. Who knows? So if you think about it like concentric circles, the outside of all of the circles would be your Facebook friends, people you probably don't want to get coffee with, okay? And then on the inside of that circle is probably the people who are uh, a little better than acquaintances, people who you may call your friend, but really coffee once a year will suffice. But then you have the inner circle, the core. That's where your philos friends are. Your friends where you look forward to coffee with them on a pretty regular basis. Because those are the people who are there for you. Those are the people who will hang in there with you when the times get hard. And those are the people who will sacrifice for you if you need it. Philos friends. This is the type of friend that Jesus is called In Scripture, he is a friend, he is a philos of tax collectors and sinners. This was the type of friend he was. He was in their core group as their friend. He was there for them. And of course, we know that he was willing to sacrifice for them, wasn't he? He was willing to sacrifice so much, even his own life, for tax collectors and sinners. And so when we think about, okay, who is Jesus sacrificing himself for? Who are them that he's in the core group of their friends? You see it up there. It's the tax collectors and sinners. Now, it's really interesting that Matthew would actually put two different categories of people, right? Isn't it odd that he didn't just say sinners? He said tax collectors and sinners, almost saying there's sinners and then there's tax collectors, like, they are the lowest of the low. They don't deserve... They, they're not even in the same category as sinners. That's pretty amazing to me. Apparently, there's different categories. And we got to ask why. Why does Matthew do this? For two reasons. First, he wants people to understand that they are the lowest of the low for two reasons. Because... And that time a day, Jewish people had to pay taxes to the temple or to the church. They also had to pay taxes to Rome, okay? And so, the Jewish people who worked for Rome... The religious elite did not like them because they were traitors. So not only sinners are people who just disregard the law, but at least they're not traitors and working for this foreign power who's taking more of our money. And it's really interesting to know that Jewish people were taxed more than Roman people because they had to pay the Jewish tax and they also had to pay the Roman tax, And so, tax collectors and sinners are in a different bracket because sinners are just people who disregarded the law. But tax collectors were not only that, but they were also traitors. They're traitors. And then, of course, as we know from the wee little man Zacchaeus, is that they also like to skim off the top, didn't they? Not only were they traitors working for Rome, but they were also like, I'm going to fill my pockets with your money as well. That's why there's two different categories here. Matthew wants us to understand that. Now, these are the people the religious leaders didn't like. These are the people they avoided. And yet here we see that Jesus does not avoid them, does he? Jesus does not disregard them. In fact, he sought them out, and he was their philos. He was their friend. He was their friend. The last reason I think Matthew makes this distinction is because you know Matthew? You know who he was? He was a tax collector. And you know what's amazing to really think about is he's able to say that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners because when he was writing that, he was thinking of himself here. He's thinking, even a tax collector like me, Jesus was my friend. I was the lowest of the low, and yet Jesus came to me. He sought me out. You know what's amazing is that when we experience something, how much that drastically changes the way we talk about it. If you actually experience something, you can talk about it way more than if you didn't experience it. And so Matthew experienced this amazing invitation from Jesus, even though he was a tax collector. And so we find his story in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And so this this is basically Matthew talking about how he became a disciple of Jesus. And it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. So he's sitting at the booth, taking people's money, doing his job. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. Okay, just off the bat here. Jesus doesn't say, come on to church and then just think if you want to follow me or not. It's up to you. Jesus walked up to him. He sought him out. He went to him and he said, follow me and be my disciple. That is very imperative for us to understand because so many people have this concept that we are the ones that have to figure it out to go to God. And in fact, that's not true. God has come to us, hasn't he? And that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. He came to us. Very important to understand. Follow me and be my disciples. So Matthew got up and followed him. He's a very just prompt man, all right? Just got up from his tax booth and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples. This is to celebrate to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love that word, disreputable. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, they kind of brought him to the side, and they're like, bro, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And look what Jesus says. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. He then added, now go and learn from the meaning of this scripture, I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices for i have come to call not those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners so like i said before matthew is just sitting in his booth one day and jesus walks up to him and he invites him and says follow me and be my disciple and matthew got up and followed him now it's you need to understand This was not Matthew's first interaction with Jesus. It couldn't have been. Most likely, Matthew has had other interactions with Jesus. Most likely, Matthew was one of the tax collectors that Jesus was known for, of sitting and eating with them even before this. And so most likely, Jesus and Matthew had this relationship already. And Matthew was probably waiting for an invitation, just like, oh man, if he asked me to follow him, I'm going. It's done. Like, I, he has me. He has my heart. I'm going to go. And so one day, Jesus goes up to him, and Jesus knows and he says, Come on, follow me and be my disciple. Matthew didn't even have to think twice. He stood up and he went. He stood up and he went. To celebrate, Matthew invites Jesus and the other disciples to a dinner party. One thing to know, other disciples, there's one other disciple that's Simon the Zealot. Zealots did not like Rome. They were zealous for the Jewish culture and Jewish country, if you will. And so to have a tax collector working for Rome... And a zealot in the same group of friends would have been really interesting, mind you. And so he invited all the disciples over. Simon was probably a little hesitant. And they went over to Matthew's house, and they enjoyed a meal together. But this isn't like one of our dinner parties where we get together and play catchphrase or Scrabble or something. They got together where they experienced deep friendship with one another. They would recline, they would take their time, they would eat together, they would talk with one another. They weren't in such a hurry. They weren't a part of this fast food culture, if you will, where it's in and out, I have no time for people. A meal together like this was evidence of deep friendship with one another. And so Matthew invites all these other people over, these shady people They were tax collectors and disreputable sinners. In other words, they were people who had a reputation for sinning. So they were known as sinners who disregarded the law, not accepted by the church, outcasts of their society. And that's exactly who Jesus was with. So you could look at the crowd, you could see tax collector, tax collector a sinner who's very well known for it, Uh, another sinner who's very well known for how they sin, and yet right in the middle was Jesus. Right in the middle was their friend, their philos. The religious leaders could not fathom why Jesus, who claimed to be God, could socialize with and enjoy such undesirable people. They couldn't understand it. So they brought the disciples aside and they asked, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That was their mentality of these people. doesn't even say what the disciples said. They probably didn't even know what to say. They're like, we don't, we don't know. We just follow him. Jesus, though, hears it and he gives them the answer. He gives them the answer and we already saw it. I have to go back for this. We see it here. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. He starts with an example that all of us can relate to. I know doctors in here. We see doctors all the time. Do they run away from sick people? Do they walk away and they're like, "Uh, nope, not today? No, doctors run toward people. Doctors go toward people to help them in their need. They love them so much that they go toward them. So he says, just like doctors go toward people, he says, I want you to understand that I've come for those who are sick, who are lost, who haven't found their way yet. And I love what it says here, for I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Notice the word there, think they are righteous and know they are sinners, I don't come for those who think up here that they've achieved this mental ascent and they can do all these things on their own. I didn't come for those people. If you think you can do this without me, then good luck. He says, I've come for those people who know they can't do it without me. I've come for those people who know that I am their friend, even though they are outcasts and the lowest of the low. This is what A friend we have in Jesus. This is the friend we have. This is our God. This is what he is like. And you know, I love it when when Jesus runs to people, usually the response is they run back to him as well. It's like a two-way thing. So Jesus goes toward the tax collectors and sinners, but then we read in Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners often came to listen to Jesus to teach. Talk about the approachability of our God. The approachability of our God where these tax collectors were so welcomed with Jesus, he was their philos, he was their friend, that when he was out and about teaching, they knew he could go up to them and he would teach them and and he would love them and he would be their friend. He wouldn't shun them and disregard them like the church would because if they were sinners, most likely they were unclean and they weren't allowed into the temple to worship God. They were unclean outcasts. And yet Jesus says, nope, come on in, and they were drawn to him. And so when Jesus comes to us, guess what? We're drawn right back to him. And then it goes on to say, in Luke, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain even more that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I love these two verses because it's right before Three different parables or stories that show the very heart of God. So Jesus says this, hey, this is who I am. People are drawn to me and I'm drawn to them, especially the lowest of the low. And so then he tells three stories that show his heart to people. The third story he, sh- he shares after this is a very well-known story of the prodigal son. I kind of mentioned it last week. The story of the prodigal son. If you don't know the story, what happens is, is that this son wants his inheritance. His dad gives it to him. His son runs off, squanders it, ends up trying to eat the food for pigs. He doesn't even get that. So then he's like, I don't know what to do. So then he runs back to his father, but he has no idea if his father's going to accept him or not. He's willing to even be a servant for his father. And so that's the story of the prodigal son, and he runs back. And guess what? we got to look at the response of the father. 15, 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Act like you don't see the rest of the verse, okay? His father sees him coming. Do you think he shut the gate? Did he say, hey, you got to clean yourself up? Did he say, hey, you're welcome back, but man, you're going to pay for it. Does he do any of that? Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His father not only just had his gates open, his father not only was just waiting for him, his father ran to him. Because of his love and his compassion for his son. This is the heart of God towards sinners, for those who know they are sinners. Not know, but know they are sinners. This is the heart of God for you and for me. I love this word compassion in here. Uh, The word compassion reveals the heart of God for us displayed through Jesus Christ. The word compassion is drawn from a Greek word called splanchna, that's not as fun to say as philos, okay? Philos is like, f- it's, there's finesse to it. Splanchna is like, ugh, it's gross. But one root word we get from spelanchna is spelunking. Have you ever been spelunking before? If you've never been spelunking before, it's cave exploring. Now, I don't really appreciate this picture because this is the cush spelunking that you can go to Mammoth Cave and go down an elevator, walk through, and go up the elevator, Usually, spelunking is where you go into these caves and you crawl through these nasty little cracks that no one was ever meant to go through. I don't understand why anybody would want to do that. That's spelunking. You go cave exploring in these deep, dark places that no one has ever gone to. There's even caves out there that no one has ever even reached the bottom of. So when we see this word compassion... Or splanchna, it's a reference to the bottomless compassion that Jesus has for you and for me. These deep, dark places of Jesus where his compassion just overflows for those who desperately need it. That's what that word compassion means. It's this idea, the heart of God that he has for people who have no chance, who don't deserve any of this. And yet that's what he shows us in our life. He shows us this splanchna, this compassion. I love throughout Scripture, we see the word compassion, and it's usually associated with Jesus. When he sees the crowd, he gets off a boat, and it says Jesus had compassion on the crowd. That's that gut-wrenching, bottomless compassion Jesus had for people. Where the disciples are like, we're tired, man. We're, we're hungry. Let's go. He's like, nope. I have compassion for them. They are sheep without a shepherd. They are lost. That's the compassion that God has for you and for me, it's bottomless. It's to the depths of our soul, I like what Dane Ortlund, the author of the book, says. He says, "In Jesus, we are given a friend who will always enjoy, rather than refuse our presence." That is true compassion. I love the word "always" there, because I know, as me, as a friend, I've I've failed. I fail sometimes. There are times my friends will text me and say, hey, you want to hang out tonight? I'm like, nope. I don't. I want to stay at home. Okay? I'm lazy tonight. You've all been there. Okay, Don't, don't look at me like I'm, I'm bad or anything. You've all done it. I've, I've failed as a friend. I know that. And you know you failed as a friend. Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus doesn't let us down. Jesus does not fail us as our friend. He knows everything about you and me. He knows who we are deep down. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. He knows your hearts. And yet, in spite of all those shortcomings, he's still our friend, our philos. If you follow Jesus like Matthew did, Remember, Matthew knew Jesus. It's not like it was just out of the blue. He had these interactions, most likely, where he had dinner after dinner after dinner with Jesus, and he would count Jesus as his friend. And here Jesus is, inviting him to follow him. If you follow Jesus like Matthew did, guess what? Proverbs 18.24 says Jesus is going to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's who Jesus is for you and for me. He's not fickle. He's not repulsed. Rather, he invites us into his core group. He comes toward us. He throws his arms around us. And he celebrates with us as his friend. Jesus is our friend because of his gut-wrenching compassion and his never-ending love for sinners like you and me. Philos. He's our friend. I love that song we sang, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. When I was a kid growing up, that's a throwback hymn, and I remember singing that, and I had no clue what it meant, and I didn't even like the song, but today it hits deep, doesn't it? It hits deep. That what a friend we have in Jesus. It's better than any friend you have here on this earth. Because of that, I want to give you two challenges today as we close. First, allow Jesus to be your friend and leader. This is really important to understand here. Uh, when I think of a friend, I think of like someone who's going to sit in my sidecar of my motorcycle. I don't have that. It would be really, really cool to have a side a motorcycle, a and then b to have a sidecar. And I and a lot of people. Think of Jesus as that. Like, hey, I'm just going to go along my life. I'm going to keep driving. And if you're in the sidecar, great. That'd be awesome. I would love it if you were there. Listen, yes, Jesus is our friend. But he doesn't just want to be our friend, he wants to be our leader. When Jesus went to Matthew, did he say, hey, come on, I'll follow you wherever you go? Did he say, hey, come on, I'll just be your friend. And I'm here if you need me when you want? Oh, he says, follow me. Follow me. In other words, let me be your leader. Let me lead your life. And I promise you to lead you to eternal life. Because we know, John 14, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so I want to challenge you. Allow Jesus to be your friend. That's a great way to look at Jesus, of who he is. But he's not just your sidecar companion. He's also your leader. Allow him to be the leader of your life. Then second, I want to encourage you to be a friend to someone in the name of Jesus. Jesus has left us here to be ministers of reconciliation, to be beacons of love and hope. If we've experienced the love of Jesus in our life, guess what? We get to go out there and we get to be friends to those outcasts Outcasts, either of God who don't belong to a church, they're outcasts in culture, those who don't have any friends. We've been called to be the light of Christ in this world, the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, to ministers of reconciliation. And so we must be intentional to go out of our way to be a friend to someone in the name of Jesus. Intentionality, reaching out, not saying nope when they text you being there for them so that they can see Jesus through you, John 13, 34, and 35. It's through us that people can see the love of Christ. And so not only do we want Jesus as our friend, it's great, we can't hoard him though. We get to go out and be that beacon of love and compassion and friendship so that people can understand the friendship of Jesus. So that's two challenges for you today. Allow Jesus to be your friend and leader. And then second, be a friend to someone in the name of Jesus. So ask yourself, who has Jesus put into my life that I get to do that with? I guarantee there's at least one person. Be intentional about it. Take steps to be that friend to someone. Because who knows? Maybe they've never had a friend that has loved them. Maybe they've never even seen the love of Christ through a person And in our day and age, that's really tough to find with how much is going on. And maybe it could be you. Jesus is our friend and our companion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you are our philos friend, our our friend who will care for us, our friend who will walk with us, help us, and ultimately who sacrificed for us. Not only that, Lord, your word also tells us that you're interceding for us on a daily basis. And so, God, you are our friend. You are the you care about us so much that you run toward us. You invite us to follow you. God, I pray that we would see you in that light, but we would also see you as our leader, as the one we are following because you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And no one goes to the Father except through you. And so, God, work in our hearts. Help us to be people who can love others in the way that you have loved us. Help us to walk in love, as Ephesians says. And Lord, one more time, we just lift Ukraine up to you today. That as they are going through this wretched situation, Lord, I pray that they would feel your compassion, that they would feel your peace, that they would feel your presence you do not forsake us you do not leave leave us so i pray that they would see you in the midst of this somehow some way we pray this in your name amen